Hi, this is Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And we are here for today's episode of the Max Murphy Podcast for a very, very timely topic on congestion pricing and everything that's going on with a new proposal that's come out of a panel that the governor put together. And we're joined by Alex Matheson, the founder and director of the Move New York campaign. Welcome. It's great to be here. Nice to see you guys again. Good to see you. So um, lots of people have been following the big phases of this whole thing, but for those that are and those that aren't, give us a little background. What is Move New York? <laughs> Why'd you pull it together? Uh, and, and where do we stand right now from your perspective? Uh, so Move New York is a campaign uh, that was founded in uh, 2010, and it was a response, in fact, to the uh, failed Bloomberg attempt to pass congestion pricing in 2007 and 8. Uh, Ted Keel, a well-known labor arbitrator and passionate congestion pricing fan, uh, really believed that this was an important issue for the city, hired me to study the Bloomberg campaign, understand what went wrong, both on the substance and as well as the kind of political strategy. And then from that, we determined that congestion pricing seemed inevitable for a city like New York. It's very well kind of organized for it geographically. The traffic was, of course, always, has always been for decades and decades a very serious problem. And we've had essentially a chronically underfunded transit system. So it's just the right solution for our set of problems here in New York City. Uh, and so basically we thought, if this is ever going to happen, we've got to keep the conversation going. I went back to the various uh, members of the Campaign for New York's Future Coalition folks, environmental transit, environmental justice, business labor organizations said, hey, do you want to take another run at this? Let's do it a different way. Uh, very grassroots, very patient. Uh, getting feedback from a lot of the opponents was a critical part of the strategy. Likewise, with the foundations, the Rockefeller Foundation stepped up early. Uh, they had a, a significant transportation uh, program. They got behind it, and we were kind of off and running. Uh, the truth is, though, is we had a moment in 2011 to try and get congestion pricing passed, because if you remember, the governor uh, had to figure out how to fund the remaining three years of the MTA's then 2010 to 2014 capital plan, they were looking for a solution. They looked hard at our kind of improved upon uh, uh, Bloomberg plan, but in the end, they just didn't feel like it was ripe. We kind of went dormant for a few months. And then, of course, uh, Gridlock Sam Schwartz, the famous uh, uh, traffic engineer, had quietly been developing his own plan uh, and had been testing it with particularly a lot of opponents in the outer boroughs and suburbs, et cetera. We joined forces. He started to get a lot of attention. And finally, we had a coalition. We had some funding. Uh, we had political smarts among us in the coalition. And then now with Sam joining us, we had a politically smart uh, and very good public policy plan to, to kind of drive the campaign. Released, the, released our, you know, we spent a couple of years literally going around the region, talking to everybody we could, as I said, including opponents and many legislators in the Assembly and Senate um, and others, and finally developed the plan, came out with a final plan in March of 2015, introduced legislation the next year. But again, the impetus wasn't there. It's a very difficult political issue, as we all know. And it really took, and we knew this kind of from the beginning, it really took a transit crisis uh, to focus the minds of, of the governor and of the legislature. And finally, as we all know, uh, we got one. We got, <laughs> one. we got a transit crisis. That's the bad news. But the good news is this is a unique opportunity for the city of New York, for the state of New York, to do something 
transformative to uh, resurrect and upgrade and modernize our region's transportation system, not just uh, the, the uh, transit system itself, but our, our roads and bridges as well. Tell us a little about the diagnosis you did at the outset about the Bloomberg plan and what led to its demise, and especially that separation between the substance of the plan, the rationale for it, and then kind of how they rolled it out. What did you take away from that as lessons? Well, on the substance side, you know, listen, if the Bloomberg plan had been passed, New York City would have been better for it. I think that it's hard to argue against that. Congestion pricing, even the version they did was, you know, it was a sensible policy for the city and region of New York. The problem with the Bloomberg plan, though, on the substance was is that it was perceived as, and arguably was, very Manhattan-centric. If you lived in Queens or Brooklyn or Nassau or other places outside of the core, um, your feeling was, I'm being charged, uh, uh, you know, a, a new toll uh, to pay. That's going to have no benefit to me. I'm just going to be paying. Uh, and Manhattanites who live in the, in the, in the central business district are going to benefit from hugely reduced traffic uh, 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 congestion. Uh, and then the money raised a half a billion dollars a year probably is maybe not enough to make a meaningful dent in improving transit, particularly in the outer boroughs where they really need some uh, you know, in increased access, et cetera. So I think it was just seen as too Manhattan-eccentric. And, and, and with that, there was a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, issues of resentment that the outer boroughs have had for a long time towards Manhattan, you know, a billionaire mayor, et cetera, those kinds of things, those kinds of resentments were also there. Um, and then on the strategy part, you know, I just think that uh, there, was, there was a rush in a way because there was that federal money that was available, um, and I don't think that they did the kind of retail politics and the kind of ground game uh, that was necessary to get something as difficult as that over the finish line. I think that in, a, in a nutshell, that's, that's what it was. And I guess I'll take a second to note that some of that resentment and some of that pushback is certainly still out there. And this is <clears throat> still with the governor's backing. And, um, you know, you gave a really good history there of your campaign that then helped lead to the governor and the transit crisis putting together this panel, which um, Sam Schwartz, who you mentioned and, and is a leader of your coalition with you uh, and others, sat on the panel and helped really drive it to the recommendations that they recently released. So the Fix NYC panel that the governor put together um, released those recommendations. So what are the differences between Move New York and the Fix NYC recommendations? And we should, and I'll just say lastly before you, you answer that, those recommendations are now, as everybody knows is clear, now a point of you know, starting port for negotiation between the governor and state legislators. Um, but what, what are the differences between what you guys were pushing now for a few years mm -hmm. and what the panel brought back? Um, well, first I'll just say that the, uh, the Fix NYC proposed plan, I think, is excellent. Uh, as, you know, if, I, I'm surprised I, to hear myself saying <laughs> this, uh, but really the Move New York plan, after seven years of development, incredible, you know, engagement with stakeholders, et cetera, um, was not just good public policy, but good politics, too. We really thought through the politics of how do you get something like this done. Um, and to your kind of earlier point, I should just say that um, our plan was significantly different than the Bloomberg plan, and that's why we, I think, were successful in changing the political dynamics and the public perception of this plan. It doesn't mean that there's not still, you know, resistance to it. Obviously, there is, and that's something we're going to have to work hard to 
work hard to overcome. But we did a couple of things to really focus on making sure this was an equitable plan for everybody. You know, it didn't favor the Manhattan over the outer boroughs, it didn't favor, you know, uh, the city over the suburbs, uh, riders over drivers, everybody benefited and everybody paid their fair share. So that was kind of basic principle underlying the Move New York plan. I'm very happy to say that the Fix NYC panel's proposal is much more similar to the Move New York approach than it is to the previous approaches. Um, and I think that's incredibly significant and important. And we were, as I said earlier, we were specifically interested in uh, benefiting and making sure that there were concrete benefits delivered to Attleboro residents, drivers, and low-income families. Those were three constituencies, if you will, that we thought were really important to take care of in this. Again, good public policy, also good politics. So, you know, there's not a huge amount of daylight between the Fix NYC plan and the Move New York plan. There are some differences, but uh, as you know, not not long after the, the panel released its plan on last Friday, the governor came out and said that he's actually in favor of providing some toll relief uh, on some of the bridges in the outer parts of the city. Um, and that was one of the differences, uh, that, he, that the panel had not really taken that, that idea seriously and considered it. Now it looks like it's on the table again. So, you know, it's, it's a very similar plan and, and we're very pleased for it. And, pleased with it. And I would also say that, as I was saying before, I, I really thought that we had created the gold standard of, of congestion pricing plans, especially for the city of New York, you know, tailored for the city of New York. And these guys actually improved on our plan in a number of ways. One is they've kind of took care a little bit uh, of the East River Bridge you know, meme, um, and, and and also provided a, kind of a, a release valve, if you will, for drivers who aren't actually trying to get into the central business district. They just want to use the FDR drive to get to, to uh, destinations north. That was a pretty smart kind of compromise that I think uh, takes a little bit of the pressure off of that issue. Um, and then the other thing that I think they did, which was really smart, was the phasing approach. Uh, the idea of doing the four higher vehicles first, raising some revenue from that, uh, dedicating the payroll mobility tax uh, revenues to installing this new cordon tolling system, uh, to improving transit in the ways they talked about in advance of those new charges going into, into effect in 2020. Or yeah, 2000, mm -hmm. yeah, 20. Um, so that kind of phasing thing, I think, is really smart, and I think uh, a sensible and fair and politically smart way to uh, to get this thing done. One of the things I remember from the Bloomberg plan and the debate about it was that it was framed very much. The rationale was, traffic's a problem; we have to solve it. And after the fact, people questioned why, you know, the needs of the NTA weren't put more front and center. Um, and then the outer borough versus Manhattan issues you talked about. But what struck me about the fixed NYC report and the governor's comments about it was that given that it comes out of the crisis around subways, that the traffic congestion was put as sort of the first issue of discussion, which was interesting to me because that, that isn't why most of us kind of felt like we came to this moment. It felt like it was a subway crisis this is a response to. And when you read closely, it mentions that actually trips into the central business district are down and one of the things it blames for congestion, one of the things, is livability measures like pedestrian plazas, even bike lanes. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if, what do you think about that um, on, on merits, the, the, the framing of the issue, politically as well, the implications of that, basing this as a, a strategy to reduce congestion, d does that pose any risks to undercutting the idea that this is primarily about um, fixing and helping the MTA. 
Uh, Jared, I think it's a fair question, and uh, here's what I would say. Uh, first of all, um, on the issue of traffic congestion, according to Sam Schwartz and according to the data, the most recent data, traffic is as bad or worse than it's ever been in the history of the city of New York. Um, so this is a crisis issue. The Partnership for New York City just came out with an updated uh, version of their 2006 study that shows that the traffic in and around the Central Business District and the region is now costing the region's economy $20 billion in lost productivity. Um, so this is a very serious issue. And, you know, and that sounds like a lot of economic jargon, but in real terms, those are people being late to work, getting fired, not being as productive at work, not being able to get uh, to educational opportunities and, uh, and to uh, job opportunities and job interviews. So it has a real cost on the economy and job creation and kind of the overall economic health of, this, of the city and the region. So that's a serious issue. Secondly, I'd say, fair enough, you're right. Any communications expert or marketing expert running a campaign like this will say, don't have multiple goals that you're trying to achieve because that's just going to confuse the public. Uh, it's important to have a very clear single goal that you're after and you just beat that message uh, uh, over and over. And so that's been a bit of a conundrum for us for the very beginning because these are two very real issues. And, and you know, the subway crisis is more acute in a way, partly because we're kind of just accustomed to bad traffic <laughs> in this city, which is, you know, a statement unto itself. Um, but I think to your concern, uh, and it's a, it's a valid one, I think at the end of the day, the subway crisis is the issue that's going to rule the day, and it's going to determine whether the governor and the legislature decide to put their full shoulder into getting this passed or not. The transit advocates are, are uh, adamant uh, uh, about the seriousness of the crisis. The riders are more organized than they've ever been before. The kind of civic community uh, recognizes the seriousness of the problem from business to labor to, to advocacy, advocacy groups. So I think there's a lot of pressure on the governor and on the legislature to deliver something. And I don't think that we can afford to wait. Uh, and so I think there's a recognition that this budget, the fiscal year 2019 budget that will be passed presumably by April 1st has to include some kind of subway funding uh, plan. And this is the most, uh, kind of viable plan out there at, at the moment, and I don't really expect that to change. There's a lot of momentum behind this. And just, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the need to have this budget address it. I wonder if part of that feeling is because it, you know, the saying is never, never, uh, always make good use of a crisis, right? And we do have a crisis now, but over time, people tend to get used to crises and they fade from headlines and the subway action plan might actually reduce some of the day-to-day manifestation of that crisis. Uh, do you have any worry that if we if we don't deal with this this year that it will be harder to kind of muster the same sense of urgency in, in future years? I think in the near term that's a possible scenario where as you say the subway action plan helps to kind of window dress uh, some of this stuff and, and it doesn't feel quite as acute as, as it was before. Um, but you just can't continue to underinvest in a trillion dollar uh, a transit system like ours and not pay the price for it. I mean, we've already paid the price for it, right? This, as, as the New York Times uh, reported uh, in a very comprehensive and astute way, uh, this crisis that we have is born of decades of underinvestment uh, caused by multiple governors and mayors. Um, so, so this issue is not going away, and whether there's a, a, a momentary reprieve because of the subway action plan or not, I don't know. But all I do know is I think there's a lot of 
expectations by, uh, by the public that Albany has to deal with this issue this year. And listen, they've got elections coming up, uh, and you know, no one likes to to get behind a plan that's going to cost people more than it cost them before uh, in terms of their daily commutes. But I don't think they want to go into a 2018 election either, having basically abandoned, you know, the the nine million people that that use the region's transit system either. Well, yeah. So you hit on some interesting political issues there, and you also mentioned the idea of this being the year, this budget, the governor being behind this. Um, you know, you've mentioned uh, Move New York is is ready to mount a campaign to get this passed. Um, I saw on, you know, the Move New York Twitter account and other places that, you know, the governor really needs to put his muscle behind this. And we do know that Governor Cuomo can get things through the legislature that he wants, basically. However, um, the state Senate is dominated by Long Island and Westchester and elsewhere, and they're quickly out saying we don't want new tolls. The Assembly is you know, sort of dominated by Queens and Brooklyn, and they're hesitant for new charges. Um, that's a that's kind of a uphill battle there. So how how does it happen? What's the Move New York campaign look like? How does this get um, into this budget that's due by April first? Well, well, first I should say, you know, whenever you have a governor effectively proposing a solution to something, you're going to have some pushback from some number of assembly members and senators. And don't forget, it doesn't necessarily signal what their ultimate position is going to be. For all you know, they're just kind of positioning themselves for the, for a better uh, uh, stance in the negotiation with the governor. Um, secondly, I've been I've been at this for seven or eight years now. I spent a lot of time in Albany. I spent a lot of time with these legislators, Senate Republicans from Long Island and the Hudson Valley, uh, and elsewhere, and Assembly Democrats from across the city and the region, the suburbs as well. Um, and there's a lot of support for this. I and mean, we had 30 sponsors on the Robert Rodriguez Assembly Bill in 2016, and almost that many in 2017. Uh, we've got terrific uh, bill sponsors on the Senate side, Lanza, who's a leading member of the Republican caucus, and Diane Savino, who's a founding member and a leading member of the IDC. Uh, that's very significant. That's helpful, yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot more support for this among uh, Long Island Republicans, and you think I've had some very positive conversations with a number of them, and there's been real openness suggested uh, or expressed. Especially so, if that Verrazano toll comes down just yes. a little bit. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I think the Atterboro, you know, toll swap, as we call it, under the Move New York plan, is an appealing piece, but there are other appealing pieces too. I think serious investments in transit also uh, can, can, can help uh, sway folks. Um, as to how to do it, I mean, one of the things that I think is clear at this point is it's one thing in the lead up to something like this, if, you know, Move New York comes out, puts out his proposal, and guys like David Weprin and Antonio Bell and others come out and throw cold water on and say, absolutely not, over our dead body, et cetera, that's fine and good when you're in kind of a steady state of inaction and there's nothing really happening anywhere and there's no kind of movement legislatively. But we now have a very serious uh, congestion pricing proposal. There's no other plan that has been as well thought out, well developed, um, and that is po as politically viable as this one is, hard as it is. It still has an enormous amount of momentum going behind it. So there's going to be very little tolerance at this stage for members of the Assembly and the Senate coming out and grandstanding against this plan unless they've got an alternative idea that not only will raise the kind of money we need for the subway system 
and, and tackle the traffic problem that we've got in this city, uh, but has political viability, you know, it's politically realistic. If they don't do that, then we're going to put pressure on them, and the transit advocates in particular are going to put pressure on them to say, you know, back off, you know, either come forward with an alternative solution uh, that makes sense, uh, or step aside and let leaders lead, because this is not a time for uh, grandstanding. And, uh, and frankly, I don't think that the uh, New York uh, transit riding public is going to tolerate it, because they're desperate for a solution. We've got a governor who's made good on his promise so far of introducing or, or creating a panel that introduced a very serious congestion pricing plan. He, yes, he, he is the guy who's got the political chops uh, to get something like this done. He's got kind of legendary political skills. So yes, the pressure will still be on him to deliver, but the legislature has to follow his leadership. He's done the first He's taken the first couple steps of, of, of introducing a real plan. Now it's up to the legislature, too, to join him, tweak that plan, and get it passed by March 31st. One of the things that struck me as really smart, if you don't mind my saying so, about Move New York uh, was the fact that you, you, you front-loaded, you front-mentioned the things that we could do to make the transit system better, you know, kind of the, the neat, cool, new stuff that if we had money, we could do to make it a world-class system as ferries and bike lanes and improvements to the subways and whatnot. And the fixed NYC panel's recommendations also front-load those, saying that we have to address some of the deficits, some of the service problems now, um, which is obviously smart tactically, right? Fix the system and then that... Get, you get buy-in so people will support the changes you need to make it happen. What I wonder is, do you think you'll have to start itemizing what kinds of things you're talking about in terms of those improvements? If so, what might they be? And is there a chicken and egg thing with the financing of, this is a system that's strapped for cash. To get more cash, we have to do these expansion projects. Is the money there to do that without congestion pricing being in place? Yeah, well, to the first question, you know, that's obviously going to be a whole series of conversations between the legislature and the second floor as to what, how exactly this money is going to be spent. I think one of the things that, uh, that is being called for early, and it makes sense, is you've got to lockbox this revenue. You've got to make sure that it actually gets spent and is dedicated 100% uh, to transit, if that's what the governor and the legislature decide. Under the Move New York plan, we carved out a bit for roads and bridges as well. We thought that was an important piece to help kind of make sure the drivers, in many ways, were getting uh, a multitude of benefits. But in any case, you've got to lockbox that money to make sure it's actually spent on what you say it's going to be spent on. And then I think there's going to be a series of conversations, Jarrett, between individual legislators, the leadership, and, and the governor's office uh, to decide, okay, well, specifically, what are we going to do? Where are we going to expand uh, select bus service? Where are we going to uh, expand express bus service? Um, you know, is there any possibility of doing the the uh, the um, the triborough RX uh, idea, which is a you know a brand new subway line? could be built literally in a couple of years because the, the, the right-of-way is already there. It would connect three boroughs that don't include Manhattan, which would be a novelty or other than the G-Line, um, and I think would really do a lot to fill a lot of the transit gaps. So, you know, those are ideas that we put forward that hopefully will be debated, but I think that's going to be kind of a negotiation between those parties, and we'll be supportive of, of that happening if that's what it takes to get the plan passed. You have... Uh, um Speaking of what it takes to get the plan passed, continued, um, you have a very impressive coalition that's behind Move New York that's seemingly now behind, you know, this outline of proposals that still needs to be molded. The governor, as you said, 
he sounded a couple things, you know, potentially lowering some of the other bridges that the panel didn't say, uh, maybe a rebate to some lower income uh, drivers who have to drive into Manhattan uh, for whatever reason. Um, how close is your coordination with the second floor? I mean, is this a, is that sort of, are you now in lockstep or do you sort of continue to do your thing and they're doing their thing? Well, listen, we're, we're all independent entities. I mean, the Move New York Coalition is an independent entity, but yes, it makes sense that we are in touch with the second floor. So we at least know what each other are doing. Um, and to the extent that we're on the same page, which we largely are because they've put forward through the panel a very impressive plan, um, then it makes good sense to kind of coordinate uh, our thinking on this. Uh, but we're, it, we're not in lockstep. I think that's, mm -hmm. that would be an exaggeration. But I think that there's a, an, an interest in, in coordinating our efforts to make sure this actually gets done. And is that your job? Are you that, that political? I'm certainly one, one of those people, yeah. And I'm, I'm one of the, the lead people on, on that. Um, but, you know, there's other coalition members that also have relationships with the second floor, and, and those are helpful as well. And um, I just want to ask you about one other thing that isn't in the recommendations is the fair fares that you at Move New York had put funding in for. Um, any idea where that stands? I, that's not something I've heard the governor mention as a tweak to what the panel put out yet. It's early, but... No, it's it's early. Um, but I'm a very strong uh, supporter of fair fares and of, you know, some kind of fair discount. Pro There's different ways to provide fair relief uh, to riders of New York City. I think fair fares is... Uh, the most important one because it targets low-income families uh, and it also has the most support and um, and is the most notoriety if you will uh, the wrong mm -hmm. term but you know what I mean uh, it's 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 a pretty well-known idea that's gotten a lot of uh, publicity um, so Bernie, I'm a strong Bernie support. Sanders uh, backed proposal yeah exactly when Bernie Sanders but gets behind <laughs> you know it's, it's going places uh, so I, I think Ben that there is real momentum behind that idea. There's widespread support uh, for that idea, and I would be, uh, I'd be very surprised if it's not one of the main issues that's debated between the governor's office and the, and the legislature. And you know, we're going to continue to 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 press for it because we think it's important. When the panel was formed, Fix NYC, it was noted that no sitting New York City elected official or you know, civil servant was on the panel. And I found it notable in the report itself that it spends a long time sort of explaining why the subways are actually the city's problem, you know, going back to this argument between the mayor and the governor about the history of responsibility and where obligations lie. What do you think about that argument being kind of part of Fix NYC? How does that affect the ability to sell it politically, this idea that the city has to step up and do its 50% share of the subway action plan or, you know, the whole thing kind of falls apart. Well, I, I do think that that subway action plan is a slightly separate debate, right? Um, uh, I think that, uh, you know, that there is an absolute need. Uh, Chairman Loda has come forward with a, a, a viable and, and I think smart strategy for how to, to get the subway system running, you know, better, at least in the short term. Um, and I think that between the two of them, the state and the city, they've got to figure this out. You know, I've got my ideas of what the fair solution is. I'm not going to dare uh, utter them here. <laughs> good space for that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I will say that, you know, 
a couple of things. As to the Fix NYC panel, I'll just kind of uh, echo, uh, borrow what Kathy Wilde said, which is that um, that there was a lot of folks on the on the on the panel that represented the interests uh, of the city, uh, and that also there was no government officials of any kind uh, on there, uh, either for the state or for the city. So. You know, could 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 they have done a little bit more on the city side, perhaps? Uh, but I think the bottom line is what matters is how good a plan do they come up with, and I think they came up with a, an excellent plan. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say on the other issues um, that that came up. Um, I, you know, I think there is an argument. I know that one of the things that was in the governor's budget was the idea of. Uh, the state getting a share of the value capture money that might come from, say, value capture taxes imposed on the communities around the extension of the Second Avenue subway up into to 125th Street. Um, if the state continues to pay the lion's share of, of money to support uh, the capital uh, plan uh, of the MTA, I think there's a legitimate claim to say, you know, we need a share of those of those funds. Um, but I don't subscribe necessarily to the idea that this is the the subway is the city's problem, and and from here on out the city should have to come up with the funds. I don't think that that's also uh, accurate. So we're in our last couple of minutes here with Alex Matheson, the founder and director of the Move New York campaign, which has really um, seemed to help push this congestion pricing discussion forward and uh, and along with the subway crisis of the summer, as you said earlier, Alex, um, you know, get the governor to really get behind um, this movement. Um, so uh, sticking with the, the city a little bit, <clears throat> I guess before my question on this, you know, it's also worth noting, as Jared was pointing out, the, the report also talks about the city's placard, parking placard, you know, abuse, uh, enforcement of double parking, some of these things that basically the panel said New York City should be taking care of now on its own, you know, that basically pointing to the mayor and saying, you know, there's some things you can really do here um, to step up. Um, so on the mayor... He seemed a little warmer when the when the proposal came out than he had been to the Move New York proposal. Um, what do you make of his positioning, and what are you doing to get him on board? Well, he's he's kind of done it for us. Uh, you know, we had we had some thoughts about how to win over the mayor in the coming weeks and months, um, but to our surprise and delight, he's on his own decided that this is a plan that's worth looking at, and I think he raised some fair issues about, hey, let's make sure this money actually goes to the MTA. Uh, he's, he's called again for fair fares, and, and we support that idea. So I think the mayor has uh, positioned himself uh, in a constructive, positive way to, uh, to engage in the conversation and hopefully be a supporter of the ultimate plan that emerges from Albany. So I guess my last question follows that, which is <clears throat> the ultimate plan that emerges from Albany. This is a starting point. The governor is going to tweak it some, as we've discussed, um, and negotiations will begin. The assembly might want some concessions. The Senate might want con some concessions. Who knows if the mayor gets any say, or maybe it's through the assembly, as he often you know, is, is negotiating in Albany. What, at what point does what's out there become too watered down? You know, is, there a, is there a concern from you that what's out there now as a starting point is something you like, but we know starting points, you know, often get negotiated down to some some changes. Is there something you can point to that you'd say is a tipping point where you'd say, whoa, 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 you know, we got to back off here. This is not the vision. This is not going to be strong enough. 
Yeah. I have two things to say about that. One, yes. The answer is yes. I think that I don't think the Albany can come out of this process and say that they've they've adopted a serious congestion pricing plan. If it doesn't improve vehicle speeds in the in the core by 15 to 20 percent, uh, and if it doesn't raise at least a billion dollars net uh, for transit, you know the plan that they have tentatively put forward. Uh, raises 1.5 billion. It's actually kind of a range, but I think they've kind of settled on uh, 1.5 as the target. I think that's terrific. That matches what Move New York would have raised. Um, and so that, I t to me, is the kind of threshold for determining whether this is a serious uh, plan or not. And then um, the second thing I would just say is that the members of the Assembly and the Senate, they have to understand the basic proposition here. The more they try and water down the revenue-raising elements of this plan, both on the for-hire vehicle side and on the congestion charging zone side, the less money there's going to be to make the improvements to the subway system, to the bus system, uh, that their constituents so desperately need. Uh, and so it's a very simple, very straightforward trade-off. And particularly for those uh, communities and those legislators that represent the so-called transit deserts of, you know, uh, eastern Queens, southeastern Queens, South Brooklyn, Staten Island, eastern parts of the Bronx, um, you can't credibly say, hey, this has been a, a problem for years and, and complain about it for years and then resist a golden opportunity to actually address that issue that hasn't been addressed for decades. They're absolutely right. There is There are still too many parts of the city where transit access is poor, uh, and that's not right. We we got to improve on that. And you can't necessarily build a sub new subway line to every transit desert, but you certainly can do a lot with uh, the Triborough RX or or with uh, new bus service in various forms, et cetera. And so this is a, this is our opportunity. This is the opportunity for those places to finally have the revenue they need to actually fill those transit deserts and do something. But it's not going to happen if they try and water down the revenue raising side of the equation. Well, I have my Hummer parked outside, and I need to feed the meter, so I'll have to end it there. But Alex Matheson from Move New York, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome. And just for the record, you're not going to get very far because I already slashed your tire. <laughs> thanks, Alex.